and welcome to the Stork and I podcast for solo parents and those considering solo parenthood by donor conception. I'm your host, Mel Johnson, the solo parenthood coach and solo mum to my five-year-old daughter. Series six of the podcast is focused on solo parenthood stories and speaking to a range of solo mums about their path to parenthood. Before we get into today's episode, I want to highlight two key things that might be of interest to you. Firstly, if you've missed it, I've recently launched a members-only podcast as part of my thriving solo membership community. It's only $2.99 a month and it allows you to access members-only episodes. In the latest episode, I chatted to donor-conceived Jeremy, who shared his experience of being raised by his mum in a solo parent family. You can head to www.stalkandi.com forward slash pod for more details. Secondly, as part of the membership, I've added a dedicated community call just for those who are considering solo parenthood or trying to conceive. We've got an all-member call, but for those who'd prefer to attend a call for anybody who hasn't yet got children, this is for you. We get together, it's very relaxed, we chat, we meet each other, we ask any questions we might have, it's all very casual. All my details are on the website. I'll put the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode, where I speak to solo parent, Amelie. Amelie, so nice to meet you. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Pleasure. This series of the podcast is all around chatting to solo mums um, and solo parents and just finding out a little bit more about different journeys. So, before we start, do you want to give yourself a little bit of an introduction? Yes, of course. Um, so my name's Emily. I am turning 38 in a month, well, not even in two weeks. Um, so 38 years old. Um, and I have a little boy who's called Elijah, and he is 22 months old. Um, and uh, yes, I'm a doula. So I work with, uh, I love work with a lot of other parents. Um, I support them through pregnancy and mostly through childbirth and, and also in the postpartum time. So I've, I was a doula before becoming a mom myself. I was always um, really into it's more for me. It's more about supporting women um, generally working with women. And, and of course, you know, loving that transitional time of their life where so many things happen, shifts of identity and questions um, and of course, even sometimes supporting couples before pregnancy in the fertility journey. So I was well vers- versed into all those topics before becoming a mom myself. Um, and I live in France. I'm based in the suburbs of Paris. Um, but in two weeks time, I'll also be moving to Brittany. So um, a, a region that is much similar to, to England. And I'm really looking forward to that living closer to the sea. I'm hearing a bit of a South African twang. Are you originally from South Africa? So my mom's South African. Um, I have a South African mom and a French dad. And interestingly enough, um, my mom didn't speak a word of French when she met my French dad and they came back together um, here in France. Um, You know, my mom wanted to leave South Africa and the situation there at the time. Um, So my mom only spoke English to me when I was a baby and in her belly and then as a young child. So I think my ear got just wrapped into the South African twang. Um, And I've lived, you know, I've lived in France most of my life, but I I also lived about seven years in Australia more recently. 
um, I sort of immigrated over there and and everyone was like oh are you South African and I was like not at all I'm French but <laughs> yes I'm also South African through my mom so it's interesting the mix of accents how that plays. Really interesting <laughs> we'll get a bit into you know being a doula and how you juggle that being a solo parent but I think before we get into that what was your journey to solo parenthood like so when did you decide that this was the path to parenthood you were going to take yeah so I have um I mean I've always been in relationships with men um and I was in a relationship at the time for five years um with my ex-partner and you know we after five years I was you know in my around 35 and you know I always knew I wanted to be a mom so we sort of had the you know the chat about becoming parents and he was younger than me um he wasn't 100% sure at the beginning of a relationship about having kids but you know as a relationship evolved so sort of he was more feeling a bit more ready and um just as we were going to launch the the project um he we actually discovered you know he was diagnosed with cancer and a really serious um, type of, of cancer that affects your immune system. So it was very, very serious. And he was very sick very quickly. Um, and we were both in Australia at the time, both um, European originally. So, you know, we had no family support. I had very, you know, my very close cousins were living over there that I absolutely adore. But, you know, he didn't have anyone from his family. So I was his only family through cancer. So it was quite a journey together. And after that journey, I was just like, you know, we've gone through this, you know, he was in remission and I was like, let's get married. You know, I was like, once we've gone through cancer together, what can go wrong, you know? And unfortunately, I think people react in different ways to having cancer. And for him, it was a huge wake up call that he probably hadn't done all the things he wanted to do in his life. And he felt he didn't even know who he was. And he was sort of in this quest of, you know, finding who he was. And he decided, you know, he felt he needed to take that journey alone. And so after many discussions, we actually decided to, you know, go different ways because I was 35 and I really wanted to be a mom and I couldn't wait. He had no idea how long that would take. So we just decided to separate and it was terrible. Like I lost everything, you know, my plans of wedding, my plans of a baby, um, you know, my partner that I adored. It was very, very difficult. And just after that, it's like, you know, my world had collapsed and then the rest of the world collapsed because it was COVID. COVID started. And, you know, I think a month after our breakup, we started all over the world with this first major lockdown. And, you know, I was still in Australia at the time. And I actually lost, you know, I lost my flat through the breakup we had to give our flat back so I was living with my lovely cousins and I was supposed to be there sort of between two you know finding another house and then I lost my job with COVID and then you know we were all confined and so I was supposed to spend you know two three weeks at my cousins and ended up spending six months with them and in that six months I mean I was grieving my relationship you know and I was thinking about my life and thinking how on earth did you arrive here like you know how did it all go wrong um, and I fell on like I really knew your work. I, I was actually um, I often followed your Instagram page through solo moms that I had been supporting as a doula. And I was always passionate about supporting solo moms. And I actually there were a few circumstances. You know, I met a solo mom who asked me to work with her as a doula. And then I also just fell onto this book on my Kindle that was about a solo mom in New York. And she had twins, you know, and her story of solo mom by choice was twins. 
And all that sort of inspired me and it helped me to think, okay, well, you have two choices, you know, either you run after a new partner and that's probably going to be a big failure because I was just out of a breakup. I was heartbroken and I knew I wasn't going to make the right choices like as finding a partner, you know, because I would be looking for like a daddy for that child that I wanted so much. And the other thing was like, okay, well, maybe I can be a solo mom. And then, you know, that's something that I actually have a limit in time on. Um, but finding a lifetime partner can be my whole life. So I was like, I'll find a partner at some point, a great, you know, team partner. But for the moment, what I really want is becoming a mom. And it just sort of felt obvious. And I started journaling and reading and, you know, reading all the books I could find on the topic. And, um, and you know, what probably takes a few years, maybe for some women to figure out, you know, for me, because of all this time I had, it only took me five or six months and I was ready to start. And luckily enough, it was just a sort of end of this first big confinement. So we could access again, um, clinics and, you know, fertility treatments and everything. And I knew I was, I was fertile because I had had two pregnancies much younger, um, you know, that I decided not to, you know, continue with. So I knew I could fall pregnant. Of course, you never know if it's going to work this time. Um, so I was anxious, but I, you know, I went through a clinic. I found a wonderful um, specialist and she was, you know, very alternative and she was very modern thinking. And, and in Australia, because they've had, you know, solo parenting journeys for a long time, it's, you know, widely accepted. So I felt really supported by everyone and it was easy. And of course it's expensive because everything's private over there, but, you know, for me, this was worth it, you know? Um, so I did two rounds of, um, of insemination. I wanted to try as natural as possible because I think that was a big thing for me to put my head around was like that you had to go through a clinic. <laughs> um, and especially, you know, but I think I had already put my head around it because when my partner had cancer, they sort of told us that we would probably have to go through fertility. So I think I had already grieved that like natural, you know, conception thing. So I was happy. I was just happy to go through it. So that's sort of how I decided, yeah, to become a solo mom. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. What a journey you've been on. I think that 35 is such a hard age to break mm. up with somebody because in I think in so many people's minds you think oh 35 it's the number that people talk about sometimes isn't it the age where yeah. you your fertility starts to decline rightly or wrongly I think that's just an age people talk about and so I think it comes with a lot of like you say grieving for oh my goodness but I was planning you know all the stuff that you were planning in your head um it becomes very tricky and then Absolutely. to go straight into lockdown after that must have been so tough for you it was so tough at the time but now looking back I feel so grateful I'm like what a, a gift it was because I wouldn't be you know I wouldn't have my son and of course once you have your kid you wouldn't exchange your kid for anything else right so um I'm so happy it actually happened all like that but at the time I was just absolutely heartbroken and it was very hard for me to put my head around you know I was hoping to have a family and you know this is not going to be a family as I was imagining it it's a different type of family so I think yeah there was a lot of grieving and and I think 35 I agree with you is a very special age where I, was, I mean in my head my mom had me at 35 you know so she had me quite late for her generation and I remember always 
like my friends, you know, their moms would be like, when are you having a kid, you know, and pushing for that. And my mom was never pushy at all. But in my head, I was like, you know, 35 is like, gives you a lot of time to enjoy your life. And then you're really happy to become a mom. And, you know, now I was like turning 36 and I was like, oh, okay. So now what am I doing? Um, and it was, a, yeah, I think it's, it is a big age. And I also think if you're thinking, well, if I want to have a second kid, you know, that was also, that was in my mind. And I would want, I didn't want to wait for too long. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm amazed. I mean, some women, you know, they, you know, they'll decide to have that project. I've met solo moms who'll decide to have that project at 30 because they feel they're running out of time. And I feel it is a mental thing, isn't it? True. And I think that's a really important point that you bring up as well, because I think some people, um, you know, struggle with the fact that they're trying to figure out what to do and time is ticking on and they're getting older. But I was reflecting on this actually yesterday to think one of the reasons I feel like I'm quite content with how things are now is because I really feel like I lived the life I wanted to live leading up to it. So I did all the travel and the adventure and the partying and all of that. And so I don't now feel like I'm missing out on any of that because I've already done it and I'm really happy. I was over all that actually, I've done it enough and now it was time for a different. So I think for me, it is remembering that there are positives of waiting as well. Um, for anybody who's feeling like, oh, you know, I wish. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think that's the important thing, making the most of that time and doing what you want to do in that time. Um, it's different for everyone, isn't it, in terms of when you feel ready and when you would have liked to start. But a lot of people have said the same thing, that COVID actually helped them because it almost first of all, gave you time to consider it more because everything was not as rushed. And secondly, um, just really made us all reevaluate what was important to us, I think, didn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it was really this time where I think it was also a gift in the sense that it forced us to reflect and stop running our rat lives, you know. <laughs> exactly. And so we did you stay in Australia then for the treatment and to have your son? Yes, I did stay in Australia. Um, my idea was also like I very rapidly decided that I would probably come back home um, just because my mom and my sister are here in France and I'm very close to them. So I knew, you know, even though I had really great network of friends and my cousins over there, I sort of knew that there are some things as a solo mom that you will require um, a level of help that only the very close people can, you know, sometimes um, offer at least in my case um, so it was quite obvious for me to come back and also because of the child care system um, it's very expensive in Australia to pay for child care it's so expensive that most couples you know one of the two will actually and often let's be honest it's women will stop working to look after the kids um, you know putting their career on the side and I was like how, how is this going to work because you know I can't stop working um, and, and, you know, I needed to work and I, I wasn't sure I would earn enough to actually be able to put my son in childcare. So I was a bit in a, a tangle. Um, and we're very lucky in France that we have an absolutely amazing, um, you know, social system. And I knew that I would get more support here too as a solo mom. So it was the combination of the two that made me want to come back. Um, and I, but I did wait until I was about five months pregnant because I think, you know, you always have these first three months where you're just hoping the pregnancy is going to go along. 
And I was like, if I leave too early and then the pregnancy, you know, doesn't continue, then I, I, I wasn't able to go back to Australia because they were very strict. Like, you know, I, I, I did have Australian citizenship, but, you know, they were like, if you, you know, if you're leaving Australia, it has to be for a good reason and for a good amount of, of time. So I, I did wait five months. So I traveled when I was five months pregnant um, to come back to France. And so what is your support network like in France? I think so many people are interested in how other people make it work. So who have you got around you helping you? So I think I combined um, three difficult things coming back. Of course, you know, I was pregnant and of course I was going to be a solo parent. Um, but I was also coming back from, you know, seven years overseas where you've built like your whole life over there. So you're coming back home. I mean, that in itself without being pregnant is difficult. You know, you have to get back into the health system and you have to reapply for everything. And so that took, you know, almost a year. Um, that was really difficult. And then the other thing is, you know, I have my own business working as a doula and a yoga teacher. And I was coming back to another country. So having to start my business from scratch, plus all this in a pandemic, you know, where I was probably coming back to no work and everything was complicated. So I kind of, decided you know my mom suggested I could come back and live with her um and and you know she still lived with my dad but they kind of separated but still sort of you know share the house um and my dad's you know really sick and and not very well and um and then my sister so my sister's younger than me she's um five years younger but she's a psychologist she's very in tune with other people and we've always been very very close you know she's my sister but she's also like one of my best friends so I knew that if I came back you know they would be there so the first thing is and not everyone would want to do that as a solo parent but I did accept my mom's suggestion of like coming back and living with her and I actually did stay with her now for almost two years but at the same time feels so long um, but at the same time, it's so short looking. I'm sure when I look back into it in 10 years and my son will have no memories of living with his Nini. So it's crazy, but it still seems so long on an everyday basis. And I think it's been long, long for my mom, too. Um, so I'm actually just about to move out and I'm really happy with that. But my sister was about, you know, she was like three hours away. Um, but also having her own business as a psychologist, she could actually take as much time off as she wanted. And she was so sweet, like she just took almost two months off when I had my son and she just came back at my mom's house and the two of them were just here every day with me for two months. And I mean, that's like a lifesaver. It's not always possible and not everyone would want that, but in our case, it worked really well. I think it's a really important topic to talk about because I think that there is an element of sometimes I, I think ego in the decision of whether to move in with parents or, or family or anyone who offers. Whereas if you get over that and think, do you know what, this is an amazing situation. Maybe we wind each other up. Maybe it's not perfect, but um, that help is going to be so good for me. I think it's really nice to hear stories where somebody has decided to do that and it's worked for a period of time because I think so many people think in their minds, 
I never expected to be here. I never expected to have to move back in with parents. And if you can get over that and think, well, I didn't expect it, but let's make a beautiful situation out of this um, until you make the next decision, and which now it sounds like you've done and, and it's the next. So what's the next step for you? What, where are you, you said you're going to Brittany. How, how is all that going to work? Yeah, I also wanted to add, Mel, I think we also live in a society where it's like, you know, the nuclear family is this, this, this and this, you know, and I work with women, I see how hard it is in the postpartum time, I see how much they struggle, and they all have partners, you know, 90% of women I work with have a partner. Um, and it's so, so difficult, because they are so far from family and friends, and women feel so lonely. And I knew all of that. And I think, you know, we also have this idea that that's how fam a family would look like. And I'm thinking, well, you know, in the old days, you used to live with your parents and even your grandparents all in the same house. And that's how, you know, we say a kid was raised by a village and it was all the people around you who would raise your child, not only you, your auntie and your cousins and everyone would carry the baby and take turns and and I think we've lost that. And that's what makes it so difficult. And so I often had to remind myself of this is what we're experiencing. We're experiencing the village, you know, enjoyed life. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love that idea as well. And so many people said to me, on reflection, you had more support than we did. Because everyone presumes if you've got a partner, you've got more support, but that's not always the case. And if you set yourself up well, you can sometimes have more support than you'd have with a partner who may be working and you know, you've know you only got each other. Whereas the way we set it up where it is a village, it can be even more beneficial. I think it's, it's such a good point. And so many people just presume that if you've got a partner, it's going to be easier. And I always sort of say that doesn't need to be the case. And actually, so I run this group coaching course, um, Preparing to Thrive, and it's a group of pregnant solo mums. And we talk through, you know, just preparing to become a solo parent. And one of the things I really emphasize on that course is when you have a new baby, it is hard. And what happens is sometimes people go to, oh, this is so hard because I'm a solo parent. And it's like, no, it's hard because you're a new mum. And maybe some things are harder being a solo parent and some things are often easier, but every new mum goes through elements of this experience and it's hard. And sometimes I think it's easy. And you're in a lucky position, I guess, with your job that you already knew that but I always say to people if you're feeling this is really hard just remember anyone in any relationship situation will find that but mainly because of sleep deprivation honestly and just because you've never done it before it's like the first time of of doing it so I think it's such good points that people really be aware of who are, uh, are starting and I think there's also you know when you're a team and you're welcoming your child as a couple well, you still need to maintain your couple, right? And for so yeah. many couples, that's such a big struggle. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, not that you should care about how you look like with your partner. Absolutely not. You know, you should always be yourself with a partner. But I mean, I could absolutely just look after my baby and look after myself. And I did not have to look after someone else's feelings or worries or concerns or maintaining a bond in our relationship. And that very often when my child, my, my boy was little, I was like, thank God I didn't have to manage someone else too, you know? 
um, not, not like manage them, but, you know, have to care about that. Make polite conversation even. <laughs> <laughs> like, you yeah. know, have quality time together in the evening. No, if I want to go to bed at eight with my son, I do so, you know. So there are beneficial points in both situations. I, I love this, this point because I am a really strong believer on this. And to the point now where I'm like, gosh, how, how would I ever be able to incorporate somebody in? And I hope that, you know, maybe one day in the future I can, but yeah, because I go to bed when I want, I spend my evenings how I want. And it, it can be very selfish in a, in a positive way. But again, I, I think it's important to remind people of those benefits, because sometimes we focus on the things that we think might be harder. Absolutely. So so the next step for you is Brittany. So yes. does that mean you'll be much further away from your support network then? Or? So I'll be far away from my mum. She'll be, you know, about a five, six hour drive. Um, and I think that's good. And 100% she's going to be missing her, you know, her grandchild so much. I know she'll be coming really often, like, you know, once a month or something like that. Nice. Um, what's very exciting in our case is, as I said, I'm really close to my sister and she was, you know, she wasn't living with us, but um, we've actually made the decision to move in together. So Amazing. we actually go to be renting a, a big house together rather than renting two small, you know, two, two small flats as two single women um, as you often find yourself, well, why don't we put energy together, money together, and actually be able to rent a nice house with a garden, you know? Um, and we've lived together with my sister many times over the years. Um, you know, we've shared flats and everything. So we know we live well together. Um, and she's so, she's so close to my son. She's so excited to be part of his everyday growing up. And we know this is not going to be forever. It's again, it's like, a, you know, it's a time of enjoying this. Um, and so she was like, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm jumping in. And I think it's also a good step because, you know, I, I don't, I couldn't have done it financially on my own. It would have been really difficult um, and doing it together, but still each of us having absolutely our own space. Like I want to live alone with my son and, you know, she wants to have her independence. So I know it's going to be another step that is going to work for everyone. And, you know, then if one of us meets someone, well, then we'll just find another, you know, another solution. I, I love this because this is just reimagining what family can look like, but also being realistic that this isn't forever. This is what's working for you guys right now. And actually it gives you the best scenario that you can have right now. Amazing. Exactly. Is your sister exactly. older or younger? No. So my sister's younger. She's five years younger. Um, you know, of course, doesn't have children. Um, and, and she's, yeah, she was, and she like, you know, she's a psychologist. She works in, she actually works in, in, you know, love relationships and, you know, sexuality and everything. So she also has a very alternative view of what a family is and relationships. And, you know, she even questions, you know, she always says, and I find that so interesting. She sort of said, well, you know, your choice also inspired me. And she says, you know, I'm thinking, thinking, well, how do I want to become a mom? You know, um, you know, she doesn't think that living with a man, you know, for her whole life is going to be something that works for her. So she's like, you know, how can I build something that is going to be, again, something new and different? And I think a lot of the younger generations are viewing things in a different, less conventional Very, way. Yeah. And I'm looking so forward to those changes um, because we need more diversity and we need more colors and nuances of what a family is. 
Um, and it, it's so I think it's something that we really need to constantly remind ourselves, isn't it? Because it's so deeply entrenched in our generation how it should, in inverted commas, be. Yeah. And the 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 new generations coming up are, are challenging that. And sometimes I'm like, oh no, that's not that's not right. And then I'm like, hang on, what's right? It's just what we've defined is right. Yeah. So it's like being a bit more open to I, I mean, I, I've said before, I think that maybe that's the best situation for me meeting somebody but not necessarily living together, living together. I, I, yeah so I I was thinking that that might be my ideal situation just meeting somebody but not necessarily living together just committing to each other and dating if you like um exclusively so even I was annoyed with myself my friend called me and said she'd met someone they've been together now for two years and I said oh are you going to move in with each other and she said actually we we don't we're not because we don't know if that's going to work for us we're very happy with the way things are and I was almost frustrated with myself that I'd asked her because of course that's just the assumption I'll be asking her if she's getting married because you meet someone you move in you get married and, and and I suppose the the younger generation are challenging that and I want to remain open-minded about it rather than so deeply entrenched that that's the order of things that should happen absolutely and I know I mean you know my mom's in her 70s and all of her friends when they all got divorced as they all did in that generation (laughs) I mean most of them did get back into a serious relationship but some of them you know did start living together and others they you know have been together for 15 years and still have separate separate flats because, you know, you each have your children, grown up children and grandchildren, and you don't want to be 100% of the time, everything intertwined. Mm-hmm. And what I find fascinating is now like my sister, who's in her 30s and younger generations are thinking, well, you know, can I even, what, what about building a family from scratch where maybe you don't decide to be living together all the time? And I've seen quite amazing ways of doing that, like couples where you know, both decide, and of course, we're talking about people who can afford this, right? But Mm. who had, you know, two flats in the same building on the same floor, and, you know, each parent had their own space, and then the children would just live between the two flats, and it worked beautifully for them. And I'm thinking, can we find other ways of doing things? We have to change, we know, and even in terms of, you know, the global impact of things. So, you know, I'm, I'm very into community living, you know, but also because I'm a solo mom and I'm like, what about the community around you? And, you know, and living in a community doesn't have to be, you know, a hippie commune. Um, yeah. Not that I have anything against that. I love it. I'm a yoga teacher. But, you know, can you also find a sustainable way of living like that for everyone without it having to be a certain stereotype? Fully agree. Yeah. And it's reimagining it, isn't it? It's just thinking, being more creative. What are all the different scenarios rather than us being so stuck in our ways that there's one path? Because I think that's what most people struggle with, undoing the fact that they're not going to take this one correct, if you like, path. Whereas actually what we're saying is there's loads of different options and we, you can just make them work for your scenario. Really and exciting. I think you, you're proud afterwards. You're proud. Of, yeah. I'm proud that I took a different path in the end, you know. And of course, there are days where you're really sad and there's days where you're looking at couples with children and you think, you know, why don't I have this? Like, I think we all have those moments. But I also see all my friends that are the same age as me who have two kids and are, that are going through terrible divorces, you know. 
and they all say, oh, well, you know, how lucky are you? And I remember actually, Mel, a post that you did that I, you know, I need to emphasize on that made me laugh so much. And it was really the question of like, you know, all your friends who end up getting divorced and, you know, they have the kids like one week out of two. And, you know, when they make you the comment of like, oh, I've had the kids on my own, you know, this time, I feel like you, I'm a solo mom. And always this laugh of like, you know, there's no comparison. There's no like one is worse and the other one is better. But it is still different to be yeah. on your own and have the sole, you know, the only mental charge than still being with a partner, um, you know, that does support half of the work. But I agree also seeing my friends that some women have partners that are actually adding much more work onto everything, yeah. you know, and when the divorce happens, it's absolutely horrific. And then when I see them, I'm like, well, I'm glad to be on my own. You know, I'm glad to not have to deal with that on top of having a child and all of that. So, And I think your point is a really good one that we see snippets and think, oh, that would be lovely. But it's a snippet. We don't see the snippets usually where we yeah. think, oh, thank goodness, <laughs> because that's usually in the privacy of people's homes. Um, so often, as many people say about social media, you see the highlight reel. Um, mm. Even in real life, you usually see the highlight reel because people yeah. don't share their entire situations with you. So um, we're often reminded of beautiful moments that might be nice to have. But we have to remember that there's other moments where it's much easier for us not having to navigate um, it with somebody. And I, I'm very realistic. I don't want to pretend everybody in partnerships has got it wor you know, worse. But at the same time, I don't think we've got it worse because we're on our own. I think it's different. it's different. And if you can create your community, you can have just as much love and support and connection with numerous people than some people just have with that one person. So it, it's it, like you say, it, it's not a competition. It's just different. And it's making your own path, isn't it? And making it work for you. Yeah. But it's, I think if you're a solo mom and you repeat to yourself all the time, oh, it's horrible. If I had, if I had a partner, it would have been 10 times better. You know, you'll really make your life really difficult. And it is a question of perspective of, you know, which glasses you decide to put on. Um, Fully yeah. agree. That is the absolute crux of my choosing solo course, that the worst thing you can do is constantly compare to how it would have been with a partner, particularly as it's a fantasy, because we don't know how it would have been. Um, and it's usually a fantasy partner anyway, you know, exactly. um, you know, exactly. you think and that's what I find interesting. Like, you know, I remember even myself thinking, oh, you know, I would have had a partner who would have been there at like the scan and who would have been so emotional with me and I'm so sad because I didn't have this man who cried when my baby was born. And I mean, I work with couples every day around birth and pregnancy, and I can 100% see all the struggles and the difficulties. And sometimes you have a wonderful partner, but he's just not involved in your pregnancy, or he's just not emotionally available, or he's just, you know, there's so many other things. And I totally agree with you. It, it is going to be a fantasy partner you're imagining anyway. It of won't course. be a real one. <laughs> of course, yeah. No, they're it's the partners, you know, from the movies that we're having in our heads. Yes. <laughs> and so then talk to me a little bit about work. So one of the things that lots of people worry about, particularly if you're a freelance, is how do you juggle working? How do you make it work financially? Um, and particularly being a doula, like that's not necessarily, you know, um, 
hours, like nine to five hours. So how have you and are you planning to make this work for you? So I think, I mean, I was already a doula in Australia. In Australia, doulas are really popular, um, probably like in the UK. So, you know, I worked a lot and I could ha- I could have probably, you know, worked as a doula full time um, with no issues. At the time, I did always have a part time job, you know, just to make means end. But I don't think, you know, you can be a whole full time doula in Australia. Now, in and I'm fact, just thinking may- maybe yeah. some people don't know what a doula course, is. Do you want to do it? Yeah, maybe. So a doula is um, a, usually a woman who supports um, other women and couples um, in their pregnancy, in childbirth, and in the postpartum time. So afterwards. So we offer physical, emotional, logistical um, support. Um, In some countries, we will also offer, you know, education, so around childbirth education. Um, And that can also entail supporting women through their fertility journey. And I'm thinking about the solar moms listening to us here. Um, You know, as a doula, you know, we can, some of us are, are trained as like, you know, also supporting couples through fertility or women. So you can have, if you're feeling really alone in your journey through fertility and you want someone with you at the scans and someone who's supporting you and you, who you can chat to and send message to a doula can be there and then of course um you know once you're pregnant you know following you through the pregnancy we meet up together in the couple or the woman's home and it, it's a very personal relationship when i go to a couple's places for two hours two hours and a half so you have a lot of time for in-depth conversation and Often we, you know, in France, for example, all the childbirth education stuff is covered by midwives. So legally, doulas are not allowed um, to do proper childbirth education courses, for example, on weekends and stuff. Um, but of course, I still cover everything that is not covered in the basic childbirth education. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's very, it's very interesting. And then the bond you create, you know, usually you bring also through birth. So what a lot of couples will ask is for the doula to be present at the birth. So in Australia, all the couples I supported, I was present at the birth. Now for a solo mom, you know, I'm still trying to explain to the group of solo moms I'm online with in France, you know, have a doula at your birth. If you'd have no one, if your mother is not a good person in your life, if you you have no sister, if you have no friends who could be a proper support for you at the birth, have a doula because that's our job, you know, and she'll massage your back and she'll say you that you're beautiful and she'll help you go through the labor and women need that. And I think um, the most important part is advocating for you, you know, exactly. because you're not necessarily in the best position to be, you know, and um, so having somebody who's advocating for you on your behalf, I think is super powerful. It's super powerful. And then of course, you know, you've created this bond that you can pursue in the postpartum in, in the weeks and months that follow. Now, the subtlety of doing my job is, is in France, unfortunately, you know, there's been a study from a actually a, a doula training course that came out yesterday. And, you know, 70 to 80 percent of people in France have no idea what a doula is. Um, so it's much, you know, it's worse than in any English speaking countries. I think in the States, in England, in Australia, New Zealand, doulas are, you know, we hear about it much more. And most women who are pregnant know what a doula is. In France, it's really absolutely unknown. So it was also very difficult for me because not only was arriving in the middle of a pandemic and starting from scratch, and but also I wasn't moving to New Zealand. You know, I was moving to a country where no one knows what a doula is. And plus, we have a very, very strong pushback from medical medical teams because I think they see us as a threat 
Um, right. I think doulas have also badly managed the environment in France. I think the first doulas who started working 20 years ago were very alternative. We're quite a medicalized country compared to the UK. And so, you know, they saw doulas as hippies, you know, going around with a tambourine, you know. And oh, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, no, that's not what a doula is. You know, I'm very evidence-based. I read all the studies. I'm passionate about informed, you know, um, information. And so I really try and support the couples in also taking into account that we do live in a very medical setting. So it's in France is difficult. Um, I've, I, so I, I kind of, I was trying to do everything at once and I think it was too much. Um, so in the last two years, you know, I didn't only change countries, have a son, but also wanted to be a doula full time. And that was possible as long as I was living at my mom's place. Um, yeah. I have been working as a doula for two years full time and I've worked a lot. But despite working a lot, I can't work enough to make a proper living out of it where I know I can pay rent and cover all the expenses. Right. Some months are okay and some months are more difficult. So my decision, and, and of course, the other struggle is in the UK, I could be a childbirth educator. And I could do as many courses as I would want, you know, mm. supporting people. Now, I can't do this here legally. So I, uh, you know, that's another sort of income loss for me. Mm. So what I've decided to do now that I'm moving to Brittany is, you know, that's okay. I'll go back to having a part-time job. And maybe at the beginning, I'll have a full-time job just to find my feet again. And then I'll transition back to a part-time job. And then I'll maybe I'll be able to do more and more doula work and I'll start again. Like I, you know, I trust that I'll find solutions, but I think that's also what's so interesting. And I think I needed those two years to give my all also to try and build my business back up again. And now I'm like, okay, um, I've tried, I'm proud of myself, but it's okay also to go back to, you know, a normal job, nine to five. And I think now that I'll really appreciate also that time. And I appreciate that I have, I don't have to work on weekends and I don't have to rush off at the birth and because, you know, you were asking, well, how do you manage being a doula and being a solo mom? It re was really, really hard. So I think I've prioritized my son and I've prioritized my clients. And I was way, way, way down onto the list. And I actually took five weeks off at Christmas um, to go and visit all my family in South Africa. So great of having your own business. You can take five weeks off. You earn True. nothing and you're really poor. But that's okay. At least you were able to have a break. And that helped me to recalibrate and be like, wait a second, you know, you've put yourself way down the list here, the two last years. So now I'm kind of happy. Maybe I'll go back to a part-time job and I'll be working less as a doula. And it's not my passion. You know, it is my passion to be a doula. So I'll be sad of losing that. But, you know, I'll have more quality time for myself. Um, and that I think we mustn't forget when we solo moms. And I think it's really important for people to hear this conversation because quite a few people need to decide, do they need to pivot a little bit in their career to make it work? And I really love the philosophy that you're saying is, you know, for now, I'll do this because it's, but in the future, who knows? And I'll try, you know, it is all about changing and going with what works for you right now and not making too much of a you know a disaster I suppose about things it's and and having the faith that you'll be able to figure it out as well I think and that's what you were saying you know that we are in this world now where we need to be more flexible we need to be adaptive and that's part of and work environment 100% like 
you know, no one's doing the same job for the, the their whole life anymore. That doesn't exist. So, you know, it's bits of work. And I think when you're a mom, I mean, my priority is for my son to be happy. And for example, paying for a nice school for him to thrive is more important than you know, me being a full-time doula, at least in my priority for the moment, it might yeah. not be the same in 40, 14 years time, you know? Yeah. Brilliant. And how have you found parenthood? How has it been for you? Um, I think I'm, I'm a very down to earth mom. Um, I was never hard on myself. Like there's days where I'm a shit mom. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still doing the best I can yeah but you know even two days ago I mean yesterday on, no, on Sunday I mean I was sick I was exhausted and I my son you know he's almost two and it's just like this toddlerhood that is so magical and extraordinary but just so crazy at the same time and he just didn't want me to change his nappy for whatever reason because he just decided at that moment and I virtually, you know, I was feeling so exhausted. I just, you know, I lied on the floor in the bathroom and I just started crying. And he was looking at me and I was like, I'm really sad because I'm really tired. And you're just pissing me off. You know, I yeah. just want to change your nappy. And he sort of came in and gave me a hug. Oh, and he was happy to change his nappy, you know. Oh. I mean, and that's what it is. Like some days are horrific and you're like, I can't wait for to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. And some days are brilliant and you think, oh, everything is going well. And I saw, I think, one of your posts, you know, as you were saying, like, you're planning like this full day with your daughter and it ends up being a really shitty day. And that's just the reality of it. Yeah. But I think I think what I've been good at is not being too hard on myself. Yeah. Like, I really know that I'm a good mom. Like, we all are. Like, genuinely, I have that true belief in myself. So the days where I'm a shitty mom, I'm like, well, you know, you can do better tomorrow. It's fine. Like, yeah, so I think not being too hard on yourself and stop thinking that everyone's a perfect mom except you is, I think, the best way of doing it. So true. So true. And honestly, this is why I am so obsessed with sleep, because I know whether I'm a good mom or not really, really so heavily correlates with how much sleep I've had, because if you're full of energy, has a perfect night's sleep it is absolutely doesn't even register that your son won't change his nappy if you're really really tired it is the end of the world what the heck is going on why is he being so irritating and and for me that is why I'm obsessed with sleep because it changes my day so much because you can just deal with stuff that otherwise makes you lie on the bathroom floor and cry <laughs> that absolutely. Is, um, I totally agree with you I think sleep is an absolute essential for me, it was such a hard lesson because I'm very much a night owl. Um, and so, you know, the time for myself to my evening, you know, in the evening that, you know, it was, I mean, in France, we put bed, you know, kids to bed a little bit later than in the UK. So he goes to bed like eight, half past eight. Um, and then, you know, by the time I was going to bed, sometimes it was too late and I was exhausted. Um, so I think when I wasn't working, like the first, I did take six months off of mat leave, but also because it was COVID and I didn't have much work. But I think, you know, the big thing for me is sleeping as much as you can, as you say, like yeah. sleeping when your kid sleeps. And still nowadays, when my son sleeps on Sunday and he still has his afternoon nap, you know, sometimes I'll just sleep too if Absolutely. I'm tired. Like, you know, there's nothing better than a Sunday a afternoon nap, isn't there? That's like, <laughs> oh, living the dream. It's the best. <laughs> yeah. So I think I absolutely agree with you. If you are well rested, 
distracted, you'll manage, you'll, like you'll deal with the little bits of annoying things happening in the day. If you're sick, like the days that are hard are the days you're tired or you're sick. You know, when you're sick and your kid's sick, you know, that's the hard days. But luckily it doesn't last. And that's when you need to pick up your phone and find yeah. a friend or your mom yeah. or your sister or anyone. So true. Oh, Amelie, it's been so lovely chatting to you. Thank you so much. And um, I will share all of your details in the show notes so that if anybody wants any more information about um, having a doula, then um, they know where to find you. Thank you so much, Mel. Thanks for also all the energy you put towards the solo moms that did inspire me. So thanks so much. Oh, you're more than welcome. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast and would like to access bonus episodes featuring donor-conceived people, psychologists and other experts, you can head over to my website, thestalkandi.com, to subscribe to the Thriving Solo membership. For $2.99 a month, you'll get access to members-only episodes as well as the entire back catalogue. You'll get access to useful resources and a monthly community call which are a great opportunity to meet people in a similar situation to you. On my website, you can also find more information about the coaching I offer. You can also follow me on Instagram at thestalkandi.com to get an insight into the realities of solo parent life. Thanks for listening and I look forward to seeing you next time.